welcome to the Political Philosophy Podcast. I'm Toby Buckle, and welcome in particular to anyone who's joined the show recently. I saw we picked up a bunch of new followers from our last episode, so if you're joining the show through Existential Comics, either with the last episode or this one, welcome. I hope you like it. We cover political philosophy quite broadly, and that includes philosophers, ethicists, political scientists, public figures, anyone who has something interesting to say within that. The episodes don't have to be listened to in any particular order, so if you like this episode, feel free to go and check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud or RSS or wherever you get your podcasts, and just see what seems interesting to you. Today's episode will be on the so-called intellectual dark web. Corey Moller from Existential Comics is back, and we're going to talk about Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, and Stephen Pinker. There was a lot of excitement when I announced this one online, lots of people commenting on social media that they were looking forward to it. Um, I'm a little bit nervous that a lot of the people commenting were looking forward to it because they were fans of these gentlemen, in which case... You may well be disappointed. This is quite a critical look, but I hope you'll listen to it anyway. And if you have some thoughts, if you think there's something we're getting wrong, then I love comments. So, you know, comment online, email me, send me thoughts, feelings, angry, poorly worded outbursts. All are welcome. And I will say, not next week, but in the upcoming weeks, I am going to do a show where I just respond to some of the criticisms that I've got on particularly my views of social justice. So if you send them in, you may well have your question make it onto the show. So please do that. This is the second part of my conversation with Corey. In the first part, we talked more generally about the role of comedy in politics and philosophy. So you're welcome to check that out. But I think today's episode works as a standalone. You don't need the context of the first episode, but if you want to go back and check that out, please do so. And as I said at the beginning, if you're joining the show recently and this is an episode that you like, please do check out the rest of them. Um, If the themes of feminism and atheism and the intersection between the two of them are interesting, I did a good interview with the atheist personality um, Aaron Ra, where we talked about that. If you're interested in religion generally, I did a series that was pretty well reviewed by Christians and atheists alike with the New Testament historian Dale B. Martin. And again, you can listen to that series in any order. And finally, we talk about moral consequentialism a little bit in this show. If that's something you'd like to hear more about, I have literally a dozen episodes on that at this point with all sorts of different philosophers who have all sorts of different viewpoints. So if you do like it, please do go and check all of that out. You can subscribe on iTunes, RSS, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We have a Facebook, a Twitter, and a YouTube page. So if you enjoy this show, please do like and subscribe. For now though, let's get straight into it. It is my pleasure to bring you, for the second time, Corey Moller of Existential Comics. So let's pivot to um, the the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is if you take that view that, you know, the, the, the solutions that you would want to put on the table are simply not being voiced that comedy has let us down in terms of just sort of wallowing in a sort of childlike anti-authoritarianism. The other people who I think have let us down are our so-called quote-unquote public intellectuals. So if you take people like the, the preposterously named intellectual dark web, um, these are, to my, I mean, let, let's get your view first, but these, to my mind, are not people who are promoting fundamentally radical ideas about reshaping our society. They're people who have fundamentally conventional ideas, but don't like that they get called racist every now and again. 
Yeah, it's basically people who have rose to prominence capitalizing on largely young white men's dislike of women and feminism. I mean, that's generally what most of them, like uh, Jordan Peterson or someone, is just... What do his, you, his major idea is I hate women. What do, you, what, do you, what do you make of him as a supposed public I philosopher? I don't like to think about him at all, if I can help it. He's, <laughs> I mean, he's the bottom of the rock, for sure. Right. And it's kind of funny. Did you hear he's suing this? Uh, I saw. I haven't looked into what's it. What's her name? Uh, man? But someone, wrote, uh, someone called him a misogynist. Uh, she wrote Down Girl. Yeah. She's uh, on my she Twitter, yeah. Philosopher. She wrote, she wrote this uh, very popular book on, about uh, the logic of misogyny, and she called him a misogynist, which I guess actually she didn't even directly call him a misogynist. But he's suing her, the free speech guy. Now, it's just kind of baffling because his entire, his entire project is misogyny. It's so obvious. It's, there's nothing else besides misogyny. There's literally, what, is, what are his other ideas? He kind of writes this, uh, he kind of did this little help, self-help book, Clean Your Room and stuff, it's a joke. But his project is misogyny. That is the project. Well, anyone There's no can, other thing. Anyone can say, someone. clean your room. His value yeah. added is to make you feel like you're being intellectual when you generalize about women in a yeah. negative way. Um, yeah, and he says stuff like, he doesn't think women should even be at work. He doesn't think they should be allowed to wear makeup. I mean, he's, to, to call him a misogynist is, is too soft. He thinks society should be just... I mean, he thinks women should be totally enslaved, basically. If you read between the lines, he probably thinks... Yeah, he probably thinks they shouldn't be allowed to work. He probably secretly holds that view, I would almost certainly say, at all. And he probably thinks they should all just be obedient to men. I mean, that he's basically come out and said. To call him a misogynist is just... I can just hear a it's whole like a, load yes. of alt-right fuckboys saying that we haven't dealt with the nuance of his thought, that it's actually much more yeah. complicated than that. Meh, 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 meh. Right, but if you go to the fan bases, I mean, it's just you just take one look at the oh my God, what's yeah. getting posted in his subreddit or something. It's 100% just how women are horrible yeah. and how they hate them. That's all the content. There's no other content. They're not talking about anything else. So it's like, uh, it's a little baffling. Of course he's a misogynist, but I wouldn't even call him a misogynist because he's so far, much further. Like, there's a lot of people who are misogynists in the world. Yeah, he's and there's a, the lot of, there's a lot of people who make lazy generalizations about women and stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure I've been guilty of that myself or like... Yeah, and that could be, a you could call someone a misogynist for being kind of just like a playboy who sleeps around and doesn't really value women. That's a misogynist. Jordan Peterson wants to reshape the entire world to make women subservient to men. That's not really a misogynist. The the ultimate Jordan Peterson <laughs> quote on this, um, I forget which interview it was, but someone asked him, so you don't really think um, women are oppressed today? And he's got this funny little high-pitched voice, hasn't he? He's like, well, no, I, you know, he gives his answer. And, the, and, and then the, the interviewer follows up and says, okay, but like, given history and given the, the fundamental power structure has been patriarchal historically, Surely it stands to reason there's still some vestiges of that. And he just doubles down and goes, I think that's the wrong story to tell about human history. Human history's been tough, and men and women have collaborated through it, and the idea that men have been more powerful is just not the right story. So not content to deny contemporary inequality, he's, 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 he doubles down and denies historical inequality, which yeah. is like how... I mean, I think that, that quote stands to I condemn wish, him by itself. You know, what's kind of funny about these right-wing guys is that they can't even come out and say what their ideas are. They, they always have to hide what their ideas are. It's like, they can't just say, look, I, and this is his real idea, it's obvious, I support the historical inequality. He thinks biologically or psychologically, women should naturally be submissive and men should naturally be dominant. So obviously he thinks that. He says it all the time. He thinks we should go back and be more, have a more of a society like that. So, but he can't quite articulate, like he's not brave enough or it's not, or the environment maybe is not right where he can articulate that. So he has to say, he has to deny that it even exists while simultaneously kind of talking out the other side of his mouth saying, we, 
we should be more like that. It was kind of good in the Middle Ages when the women just stayed at home and obeyed their husband, you know? It also allows him to play the victim, which ironically for people who call us snowflakes or whatever, these are the most reactive, oversensitive people in the universe. And that I think he, he wants a bit of ambiguity, a bit of opacity to be able to yeah. sort of say these things. But then when someone calls him a misogynist, go, oh, my clutch is pearls. My God, do you see what these mean feminists are doing to me? I, I think they yeah. do. They, they almost want to be able to have. Which brings us to the next person I want to discuss with you, is if Jordan Peterson is at the bottom of the ladder, arguably the sort of king of the intellectual dark web is Sam Harris, who I will admit to in the manner of a recovering drug addict I have been clean for so long, I used to quite like and listen to for a period. And my reasoning was, when the new atheism thing came on the block, I defended it because I thought it was about time religion, particularly fundamentalist religion, got mocked in the same way as every other big and I think it, it's, it's roles has been just destructive. And also, New yeah. Atheism, when it initially came, and I know this is only 10 years ago, but it seems like a lifetime, you could have plausibly read as a left-wing phenomenon. I know that's gone now. And yeah. so, and I... Yeah, go ahead. In, in retrospect, it was never there. It fooled a lot of people, because at the beginning, it was about... Well, what they said it was about was about this critique of religion and irrationality or something... But right, which I one, agree with, to be fair. Yeah, like, yeah that people central generally argument. agree with, like, hey, let's let's be uh, scientific. Let's not believe in fairies or whatever. But we should remember the history of it too, which is Sam Harris and uh, Christopher Hitchens. They rose to prominence in the wake of nine eleven. Right. Although and Hitchens... Their ideas... Hitchens was already a little popular before for yeah, other stuff. But Hitchens is a different beast, because he did sure. used to be a Marxist lefty. And, like... Yeah. Although... I mean, we can do we can do Hitchens another God, time. We want to talk on. about misogyny, by the way. But yes. Let's leave Hitchens out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Sam Harris rose to prominence from 9-11. And his idea was aggressive foreign policy. Right? We should go bomb them. That's really how it, he rose up through the ranks. We need to get rid of these evil Islamists who, who are not rational. And that trajectory has been the same throughout his entire career. But the weird thing, again, it's like he never directly talks about it. Or he wants to pretend like he's talking about something else. Right? Like, the atheism, uh, like, those atheism communities are interesting because they used to talk about religion and rationality. And if you look at them now, the same communities, they talk about almost exclusively how the social justice warriors are ruining society. It has nothing to do with religion. In fact, most of these so-called feminists and social justice, they're mostly atheists. And that's what they don't like now. But Sam Harris is mostly interested in foreign policy. And he always has been. And The Moral Landscape was the most interesting book because the entire thing was written as this defense of utilitarianism. But he openly admitted what motivated him to write it was all these whiny academics who believed in cultural relativity and thought these other cultures were just as good as ours. And he wanted to say, no, there's an absolute truth of... He doesn't talk about uh, foreign policy at all, but the book is about foreign policy. He was annoyed with cultural relativism which was naively accepted by sort of the scientific community. Uh, you know, any culture is just as good as any others. We can't criticize them. It is annoying. I admit, I give them that point. It is naive. So let's just let's just people. pause in this narrative and let me give you like the devil's advocate here of like the the the, the like why I followed Sam along this sure. far. In that the argument of the moral landscape taken on face value is plausible. Like, I mean, he's essentially doing moral philosophy without saying he's doing moral philosophy. I don't think it, it, it cashes out the claim that, that, that there's a scientific basis for morality. But, but it, it's, it's a fair set of arguments that something like consequentialism is more intuitive than we usually find it. That the ideas that are propagated by people who are relativists are often incoherent and inconsistent, and they're willing to apply them in some circumstances and not in others. 
and the yeah taking an overall approach of reducing suffering in the world increasing positive desirable experiences just sort of like a mapped up hedonism is not the stupidest starting point ethically where i'd get off the boat is the idea that that lends you to an interventionist foreign policy like if we could just change saudi arabia to become you know sweden we should do it but there's no that every time we try to do something like that we reliably Increase, and this is a John Stuart Mill argument. John Stuart Mill says an ethical consequentialist should be for intervention in theory and against it in practice just because it never fucking works, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I'd get off the boat with Sam Harris is just the practicality of it. Like, it, it basically, if you look at all the interventions we've done since, what, the Second World War, there's been about 70 of them. There's maybe a yeah. couple that you could say went well, and even that, that, you know, it just tends not to work. But the overall project of moral consequentialism, critiquing religion, that's not a, a, an inherently ridiculous or amoral or suspicious thing, right? No, not inherently. But again, that's not why Sam Harris wrote the book, I don't think. He wrote the book to convince people that certain cultures could be better than others against moral relativity. Now, he doesn't say it in the book, but he just thinks it's obvious that when all his science friends read this and are convinced by his arguments, actually some cultures could be better than others. He thinks it's just an obvious fact that European culture is better than every other culture in history. Therefore, therefore, we have the right to be the masters of the earth. Right? So these other cultures down in, including probably China, certainly the Middle East, Latin America, we have the right to govern their societies because we are the superior culture. That's his motivation for writing the book, so as I see it. It didn't, I mean, we talked about this before we came online, but I just remember this when he first, I mean, it, it culminated with him having Charles fucking Murray on his show um, and like reviving that whole thing of like race and IQ, which by the way, that if, if ever there was a meme that didn't need to be back in popular culture, it was that. Um, but I just remember thinking this, feeling this like sinking feeling of ah fuck, yeah, I just so misread that guy. Yeah, and because he was very clever in writing but but you didn't so like there's something you saw that i wasn't seeing at the sort of point uh, of the moral landscape it took me a long time though at first i was in maybe some sort of online communities that would make fun of the moral landscape mostly for how bad the arguments were right just like we don't like consequentialism sort of arguments no it's just how badly it's written like it, i can't remember i'm trying to remember the exact thing but probably one of the worst arguments so uh, let's see if I can get it right. Hopefully, I'm probably not going to get it exactly right. This is a long time ago. But he tries to, he very briefly brings up David Hume in the book. And Hume has the skeptical argument, the is-ought gap, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get this right, but this is probably the worst argument I've ever heard. Actually, his argument against free will was even worse. I, that one I'm going to try to remember, too. But he says, uh, scientists... Are, uh, so, so the way we dissolve the is-ought gap is because science has an ought in it that they ought to discover the truth. Therefore, it's gone. It yeah, like, it was, and, yeah. And it was like, Sam, that has nothing to do with anything. Like, why are you even bringing up to give this terrible argument? And so he goes, so therefore, there is no is-ought gap because when we do science, we're already doing an ought. And it's like, that doesn't yeah, I don't, I don't remember that argument well enough to defend it, and even if I so did, it, might, it, might, it might not be worth defending. Um, uh, like, a lot of people are for, basically, it's kind of funny, like, Sam Harris is one of these people where a lot of people, you can be for consequentialism, and you read this book, and you're like, this is just so dumb. Yeah, I mean... He's not writing it for philosophers, though. No, so because a lot of, like, cares. the interesting debates in consequentialism are, like, how do you untangle when you want to... Um, maximize consequences in an immediate sense, or when do you want to follow a consequence maximizing rule? And like, how do you sort of like that's interesting and tricky? And I've done a bit of on, on the, my show of that. 
Um, the, 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 the act-rule distinction is nowhere in the moral landscape, and I think it would have massively increased the argument's efficacy to at least have been aware of that distinction. Yeah, and he probably doesn't know much about it. He's not very interested. Again, he's not interested in metaethics. He's interested in getting rid of moral relativism. And I didn't realize that until I heard him talk about the motivations for writing the book. And, and I saw, I think, one more book, the book after he wrote. It was a little later, then you kind of can reverse engineer what he was doing in the past. It was very difficult to see at the time. That's why so many people like, oh, he's against religion. He's, he thinks we should maximize happiness. But it's just not what he's after. And then also, when you see all these new atheists, it's so very suspicious that they all hate feminism. Yes. Um, I'll, throw out a, uh, I'll throw out a good word for Aaron Ra, um, who got a lot of shit in the atheist community for owning the label feminism I had on my show a while ago. Um, I'll also now, me- why? Why do they do it? What's the explanation? Um, you know what I mean? because- it's kind of baffling. You have this atheist community, and here's... Uh, yeah, you have this atheist community, and a lot of their justification for why the West is better, it's always this two-edged sword. I know exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Times, yeah, their justification for why our culture is superior and therefore why we should be masters of the earth, us meaning white Europe and America, is that we have this progress, this moral progress, right? And the thing that they point to the most is feminism. They say, look, look how much better we treat women. Women are integrated in our society. And then they turn right around and say, enough, stop. No more feminism. Feminism finished about 30 years ago. And in fact, we should reverse time and go back to about the 70s when I was 20 years old. You know what I mean? No more feminism. No more moral progress. No more left wing at all. It's over. We finished that project. Now it's just time to bring to, to go bomb these other countries. It's bizarre. And at no point does that contradiction, and you can't make them aware of it. Let me make a couple of points here, though, because I've taken a lot of shit for publicly defending the label of feminist. And even in its most mild social and political equality form, I've taken a lot of shit for publicly defending that in atheist spaces online. Like, a lot of shit. I guess one quick point I'd want to make is that the the rightward shift of atheism is only a rightward shift online and in its most prominent commentators. If you look at, like, people who are non-religiously affiliated as a whole in America. They're still like 70-30, broadly a liberal group. And there's a lot of people doing good work. So um, I just had Mandisa Thomas on my podcast, who's president of Black Non-Believers, which is exactly what it sounds like. And they do good work um, for black empowerment in America, but from a secular perspective. So there is that whole side of things as well. But when it comes to where the contemporary atheist movement has gone, I mean, I quite agree. It's toxic and beyond toxic. And I think it comes from... I've got a lot of shit for saying this because it's an ad hominem argument. And it is an ad hominem argument, but I also think it's true. I think a lot of it comes from a place of sexual frustration and resentment. I think a lot of it basically comes from guys who think that who can't get laid for for a variety of just complete failings of their own, like, dude, get a job and shower every now and again, you know? Yeah. And that that makes them angry. And instead of saying, you know, maybe I need to do some self-improvement or, you know, not... Like, dude, if I can feel your resentment and frustration and anger of women radiating out of every pore, if I can feel it, women can feel it, and they're not going to want to fuck you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that's ultimately where it's coming from. And what's bizarre to circle it back to the Jordan Peterson thing is they can only hear self-improvement if it's packaged within misogyny. Yeah. And that's really sad because there's then there's no way out of the trap, but I think that's where it's coming from. That's definitely part of it. Yeah. I think that's the, especially for Jordan Peterson. I mean, that seems like the whole thing. That's like the whole, for Sam Harris, uh, there's this whole group of people who sort of, uh, I think the other draw of uh, that a lot of the atheists were pulled into is to sort of have these easy answers for the world. Like, I think this is a lot of libertarians. Like, a lot of libertarians are just conservatives who know it's not very cool to call yourself a conservative, so they call, theirself, call themselves a libertarian. I'm a free thinker, man. Yeah, I'm a free thinker. But there's other people, especially like, a, kind of, it seems to be young white men mostly, who want 
there to be just a single answer to everything. Like they just, there's one solution and you kind of give it and then that's it. And so the easiest one to pick is free freedom in a very shallow sense of the word where you can just kind of freely interact with each other and make contracts and that's it, nothing else. And this will solve everything, right? And of course the world is much more complicated than this. And Sam Harris drew a lot of those people in where you just don't believe it. You don't believe in any superstition. And then everyone just makes contracts with each other and the world is solved. Right. But then, yeah, these people all just seem to evolve later on somehow to just hate social activism. It's kind of mysterious. Like, It's so interesting that the primary political commitment of all of these people is being against um, what they would call identity politics, just sort of the excesses of the social justice left, which um, I've had my critiques. Um, I, you know, did a podcast with Kalyanne Mendoza, who's a human rights activist, and we argued that all of the central concepts of social justice are valid, but they can often be badly expressed and in a way that's not going to be intelligible to people. But at the same time, you have to have perspective. If you think the overreach of the left is the most important problem in society, I just don't know, I don't know what society you're looking at, you know? Yeah. As opposed to, like, the prison system or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bizarre. Um, and you'll see, like, yeah, the libertarian communities are the most weird about this. Like one thing that kind of blew my mind is like if you go onto the libertarian subreddit and you search for Black Lives Matter as a keyword, it's going to be like 80 or 90 percent against Black Lives Matter. Calling them terrorists, calling them, uh, you know, destructive, calling them uh, they, they're not protesting the right way like Martin Luther King would They'll say stuff like that. They need to be peaceful, right? It's almost all, and this is bizarre because libertarians ostensibly are about freedom, no oppression from the state. And here's a movement about the police shooting people and they're against it. The libertarians, if you take their word for it, should all be 100% for black lives. They should be marching in the streets with them, right? They don't do it though. Because they're libertarians are, oh, I'll give one more example that was really funny though. Libertarians are mostly conservatives in that they're, they're preserving the social order of property like they know this is the reason why it's almost all like white men white men own basically everything and control most things right so they are they know that they're they're sort of like uh our people are in control and we don't want to change it right we don't want to change the property relations we're not into other groups coming and saying hey maybe we should have a share too so that's that's why they can sort of uh say look we can all make free contracts as long as our type of people own everything and control everything. So that's why I guess they're against like Black Lives Matter. And it is, that's the most bizarre one. But the other one that was actually funnier is like, you know, this James Damore guy who was fired from Google? Yes, I do. Um, it, it, so this, I hate to talk about this guy too much because he's so stupid. It doesn't seem. Here's the most interesting thing about that, of the whole debacle. The most interesting thing was that Reason Magazine which is the like libertarian think piece run by the Koch brothers or whatever. I think it is. It's a libertarian website and magazine wrote an article after that saying, you know, maybe private power should be critiqued as well. It was like the first time they had ever written this article was when a white guy got fired for for hating women or saying, white people for whatever you want to say. I don't care. I don't care too much. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read the letter. So I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. But so through all, like, I mean, private power has murdered the union representatives. They fired people for being, you know, they fired my minorities. They refused to be, you know, they've been racist. All this stuff didn't matter at all. Google fires one guy who's a software engineer. We'll get another job easily. You know, this guy's not going to be living in the streets. Or writing a manifesto that made women uncomfortable at Google and they didn't want to work with them or whatever, whatever, however you want to phrase this situation. And now they're like, man, maybe we should go after Google. Maybe Google is bad. Maybe private companies can be bad. So you can see from this, like libertarians, here's my theory, is that if, if you were to, to imagine another world where feminists 
so feminist social justice warriors owned all the businesses. Like they owned Fox, they owned NBC, they owned GE, they owned Google. And in, in Silicon Valley, this is going to be possibly a reality where people who are a little more feminist might start owning things and being CEOs and stuff. The libertarians would all not be. They would be critical of uh, private power. And they would say, these companies are tyrants. And it's just obvious. It's like, what, they're not against private, they're not for or against private power. They're for sort of their side winning, which everybody kind of is. Like, they're just, they're basically just conservatives. And they hate feminists more than they hate collective action or whatever, whatever they say, you know. I've, um... Yeah, I mean, I've long argued that there's very few actual true libertarians. It tends to be a language adopted adjacent to core conservative commitments. But the race thing brings us to a final... I mean, I think this was kind of the full stop for me on any sympathy I might have for intellectual dark web people, was the open embrace of... Um, Charles fucking Murray, who, for people who don't know, is the author of The Bell Curve, and his most famous contribution to social science is the idea that the gap in black-white test scores is genetic. In other words, like, and this is not based on genetics, by the way, this is just based on, like, his interpretation of social science data, which no one else agrees with. Um, and this caused a huge stir in, what, like, the 80s or something, and it went away, and then Sam Harris had him back on his show to essentially argue that black people are genetically inferior, although they were yeah, careful not to you. Yeah, let's hear out the argument, right? Let's hear but, out. But, but here's one final point, and then I'll let you go on this, is I, I have a conversational-based long-format podcast, right? If you have those, you can have people you disagree with on, but how you interact with that... And I, I have people I disagree with on all the time, Right. Um, but how you interact th with that person, it's not having them on that's the endorsement, it's how you interact with them. If you have them on and just give them a platform and never ask them a critical question, like, I've had you on and we seem to agree about most stuff, but I put critical questions to you, right? If you, if you never ask a critical question, then you are endorsing it. And you're also giving it a platform. And that's what Sam did. And then he's gone to the mat for it ever since, and in, culminating in this preposterous little showdown with Ezra Klein. I don't know if you followed that, but uh, yeah, so what's your read on all of that? Because that surprised me. Even if I didn't, I was already going off Sam Harris, I was like, man, yeah. I didn't realize it, it was that surprising. bad, you know? Here's what I would say about that. Sam Harris was at a point where he, so the intellectual dark web, he predates that, right? This so-called, he's, he's kind of the first front-runner of this. And he always was like, oh, we're sort of, he, like, he would, he would maybe be with the Democrats, right, if he had to vote, because he doesn't like these uh, religious people and conservatives or whatever. Uh, but as I think he spawned a lot of this, too. He was sort of the snowball that, uh, the original snowball that sort of grew and grew. Someone like Jordan Peterson came along, and they were outboxing. They were to the right. Right, like Jordan Peterson is much further to the right of Sam Harris, and suddenly all his fans were leaving. Oh, you think it's tactical? No, uh, I, eh, somewhat, yeah. So I think so. Two things were happening. He, we're seeing people get much more popular to him. Jordan Peterson making like hundreds of making an enormous amount of money on Patreon on this podcast, being very lucrative. Sam Harris was sort of declining in relevance, right? I think he wasn't quite as popular as he used to be. People weren't paying attention to him as much. And he had seen these much further right-wing people rise to prominence. So two things in his mind. One, he's getting kind of outboxed, or boxed out, I should say, uh, by these other people who are rising up. And for two, I think he's realizing now, with the rise of Donald Trump, with the rise of Jordan Peterson, that you can outright say what you weren't supposed to say in the early 2000s. Like, he could have been all along thinking, like, Europeans have, are naturally more smart, and that's why they've dominated the world. He could have had that... Like, he could have had that idea all along, but he knew, rightfully, you can't just come out and say that, right? You can't come out and say, look, we are genetically smarter than Africa, 
we are genetically smarter than South America. That's why we should be in charge. So he did this whole, like in the moral landscape, he says, look, our culture has risen and we've become, because of the enlightenment, we've achieved a culture that gives us status over them. Now he's thinking, like, God, Jordan Peterson is saying women can't wear makeup at work. Jordan Peterson is like, these other guys, Donald Trump, like, look what he's allowed to get away with saying. So he's probably thinking, God, I can just outright, let's see how far I can push this. So he's like, let's have a conversation with someone who, you know, with a racist. And, oh, really, that's an interesting point. Why is it that uh, your research gets shut down? Why? You're being censored, you know, stuff like that. I think he just came to a point where one, like strategically, he felt he had to move to the right to kind of compete. And also he just felt we're at a time in, in history where you can say things that you couldn't say 10 years ago. You can be openly racist in a way you couldn't be that. And so he felt more comfortable sharing his true beliefs, which he must have felt all along. I mean, just must have. You think you can reverse? Because when I listen, have, have you listened to that podcast with Charles Murray? No, no, I didn't. I, I, I read I, about it. I, I put myself through it. Um, but yeah. he, I, I'm pretty sure that he actually believes that. That they, yeah. they, they never come out and say it. But like, they just give you all of this evidence that actually, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the test gap is genetic. And I think, yeah. one, that's just a bad argument, right? The fact that you can't necessarily put a variable to it doesn't mean that the variable isn't there. And these aren't, just to be clear, these aren't geneticists. These are people who have just looked at some social science data and go, oh, you know, gosh, looking at this, it looks like black yeah. people are and there's inferior. a lot of criticism of the test itself, too. I mean, IQ tests. Yeah. Who gives a shit, anyway. Yeah, I'm sort of agnostic. I'll, I'll throw one thing out there. Is there's this really interesting study that when you look at ag- agrarian peasant societies where all of their income comes in at the harvest, their IQs are a- a 18 points higher at the time of the harvest than six months later on. And people have said, oh, like actually poverty and stress affects the neurobiology of the brain. It might not even be that complicated. It might just be like, if you've got some stupid fucking abstract test to do, but you're genuinely worried about your kids starving, you're not mm-hmm. going to be applying all of your concentration to the test. Yeah, likewise, yeah, likewise, if you're black in America and you have to have eyes in the back of your head and you're worried about the police and higher rates of violence and you sort of know if you're in an all-white space, you're being judged a bit. If that's, yeah. the, if that's how you have to evolve to survive, you might have the exact same IQ, but just be a little bit less interested in doing this thing. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's one idea that you wouldn't capture in Charles. Yeah, there's a million ways. I mean, you, you, know, you can look at it. Um, and I don't claim but to be an expert. What is Sam Harris's motivation for inviting this guy on the show and having the debate? And you, you think you can... clearly white supremacy. I mean, it's... You, you think you can retro-engineer that as, like, a clear line backwards through all of his work up till that I point? I think so. I think yeah. So. At least the moral landscape. Which makes me. Feel I never really read the end of. Uh, I mean, I never. I don't know as much about the end of faith, but I've the, heard it's a pretty. I don't know. The, the <laughs> I've end, heard it's pretty bad. The end of faith has some nice stuff, which I appreciated because it was in the age of George Bush bashing like the Christian right and stuff. Yeah. But there's also a sustained critique of Noam Chomsky for being like a cultural yeah. relativist and like apologizing yeah. for. Um, which he's not. By the way. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, did you did actually? You, his his. Uh, if you can go on like YouTube and look at Noam Chomsky, cultural relative, and he has some really interesting arguments about it. About how it's not how to even be a cultural relativist, you have to have uh, bounds set to more or a moral relativist, I should say. There has to be certain bounds set. He's he's pretty interesting to hear talk about it. But yeah, Sam Harris. I mean, in. In this up in the last election, said he would rather have been. What's the guy's name of the pyramids? Carson. Uh, ben, ben Carson, yeah, be president than Noam Chomsky. And this is a pretty weird thing for someone who's uh, devoted to rationality and atheism. I mean, you can't get a more rational. Like Noam Chomsky is the like MIT. He's a perfect, just rational atheist intellectual. Sam Harris doesn't want him. He wants the guy who believes the pyramids were stored for grain and that we should be a Christian nation. Why? Because he's willing to bomb the Middle East and continue the empire. Noam Chomsky wants to get rid of borders, you know? Yeah, I thought... <laughs> did you... Just as a complete aside, but did you see when they asked Ben Carson about that? And, like, he didn't obfuscate. He was like, yeah, that's still my belief. Just, like, 
I mean, good for you, dude. You owned it. Like, good yeah. for you. It's, it's amazing that, yeah, that guy was far out. Which brings okay. you to an interesting critique of these people, and I guess someone else um, you could mention in this light is Steve, Steven Pinker, is that, you know, you're saying you're sort of standing at the apogee of this, like, long train of liberal progress, which we might decode as, like, white civilization's progress. Um, I, I, I dislike that read, just because, like, I have been sympathetic to some of their arguments, but it is, it is plausible. Um, and... But also, you're not really advocating anything that would progress our current society. In fact, your political vision seems to be a remarkably conformist one, and your main political angst is with anyone trying to change the system for going too far. That's a weird contradiction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's... Yeah, Steven Pinker is the absolute king, because he wrote an entire book about moral progress that we've made, right? And then here he is saying... This has been made through rationality, right? Rationality is the main driving force of history, of European history. And then he says, stop immediately. Feminism today is based on irrationality. Marxism or whatever it is, is based on, he says the basis of it is irrationality. And we have to be rational and stop it. Rationality means stopping social progress. Up until the exact point, coincidentally, uh, that I became a young man. You know what I mean? Like, people's ideas are often kind of frozen. You become maybe 20, 25, and you, you kind of get frozen in the ideas of your youth. This is natural. Everybody does this. But it's like a big fucking coincidence that rational progress had this kind of uh, Hegelian progress. And Hegel, actually, this is Hegel was kind of funny in the same way. There's this kind of progress, this moving through history where we're all understanding our freedom more. We're becoming more free. We're becoming more uh, just of a society. And then we get to this fucking dumb asshole's 20th birthday, and it ends. It's over. Steven Pinker just turned 20 years old. Oh, my God. I'll tell you one funny story about that, too. Uh, And then it's over. Now, any social progress is irrational against reason, and must be destroyed. What a fucking coincidence that this guy was born at the peak of history. You know? What a fucking massive coincidence. Yeah, sort of like Hegel apparently said the end of history was constitutional monarchism. Right. And you can look back and and go... Yeah, who knows if he really meant it or not. Nobody knows. But it is kind of funny. He's like, history makes this great progress, and guess what? We're done. Yeah. What a coincidence. I was born at the exact time. And now all these radicals need to be fucking stopped. We're trying to advance society. Get them out of here. You know, but yeah, Stephen Pinker is the absolute king of this. It's just so stupid. You almost can't believe it. Yeah. yeah the feminist, and to think feminism is over is mind boggling. Right. You know, it's just so mind boggling. This is like almost unbelievable that people think this. Yeah. And I think that's like his role in society is just to be like he writes these shitty books that you buy at the airport that are sort of like white middle class people. So, so say you're like a maybe like a little lower class people when they're at the airport they buy like a sex novel or a mystery novel, <laughs> right? Middle class white people buy that's their porn. <laughs> yeah, that's their porn. They buy this to reassure them that the world is great the way it is and nothing should be changed, right? Uh, and so nothing oh look we finished our work here everything is great white middle-class society should not be threatened by anything because look this guy says look look how good everything is it's it's kind of funny idea too like this is as good as this could be right we finished have you looked at the world fucking sucks it arguably sucks less than the medieval period but like the idea that that there could be further not something oh god we've made some progress yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Critical reason is the driving factor of history, and now, now it's, it's done. over. It's done. It's we done. finished. Everybody, stop, stop, stop! What you're doing. All we have to do is extract money, is extract oil from the Middle East, and, and get them to be. You know, this is all we have to do. It's like, no, you're an idiot. There's also just such a lack of self-awareness because this goes back yeah. to my general thesis that there is just this nasty male sexuality at the heart of a lot yeah, of this. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, that's true. 
um, is that, stop me if I'm wrong, one of the least sexy things about someone, male or female, but usually male, is lack of self-awareness. If you're, if everyone's sort of snickering at you and you're the only one who doesn't know it, that is like the least, <laughs> that is, that is the guy you don't want to fuck, right? Yeah. And, um, that really is that Steven Pinker and Sam Harris to a T in the, yeah. Yeah. Their big they critique. Think they're so smart. They think that they're like Sam Harris, especially thinks he's like so smart. It's like you're a yeah. dumbass, dude. You know what's uh, like? Stephen Pinker is smarter than Sam Harris for sure. I would think. At least he d- has done real science. And I think Sam both Harris are smarter than PhD. By the way, really? I didn't. T- 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 oh, you've got to tell me this story. I didn't know so this. His PhD was funded. He's a, he's a trust fund kid, right? He's um. He's a trust fund kid, and he didn't do any of the research, and it was paid for by the Reason Institute or something like that, which he owned. Oh, so he basically for his own research because, and this is very smart of him. He knows a PhD gives you license to be uh, to just be an expert on anything. You have a PhD in anything, you can talk about anything. So he, the reason he did this is to just put PhD at the bottom, neuroscience at the bottom of his books. Ah, right, and right, right. Like, have you? Do you know what his uh, doctoral thesis was about? It's just something that absolutely nobody cites. Everybody makes fun of. He did like it's a some, brain scan. something about belief in neuroscience. Yeah, I don't belief, really like lying or something. He did like a brain scan, and he's like, "Look, you can see in the thing." It's just, yeah, nobody cares about it. He didn't do any real science. Like Stephen Pinker actually is a respected. He's sort of like Richard Dawkins, where he did yeah. some good work. Richard Dawkins was fine until he got on Twitter and then just revealed himself <laughs> to be a horrible misogynist. But Which, by the way, is a good argument why everybody should be forced to be on Twitter. Right. Like Elon Musk too has revealed. Didn't, to me. didn't you have a little spat with him on yeah, Twitter? I a spat with Elon Musk. It makes me think like everyone's like, man, these guys shouldn't be on Twitter. I'm like, are you crazy? They should all be required to be on Twitter all the time. I they... want to see Bezos's. I want to see the raw feed from his brain. <laughs> Of what he's thinking, minute to minute, just tweet it out. It would be amazing. They should yeah. all be on Twitter. Yeah, because so many people have outed themselves as I guess stupid. That's the best thing about like Elon Musk is he outed himself as a stupid person. Not even like, like a racist, just you're a moron. Yeah, he's a moron. Like he's just stupid. <laughs> he doesn't know about anything. He's like one of the funniest things I thought. And it's funny because all his fans think he's some kind of genius. And it's just, right. and you could buy into it. Maybe he was. Maybe he could this, have been. This tracks he's back not, to the though. beginning of our conversation. The misallocation of the genius label yeah. applies to just about every he's single person we've touched in this conversation. Hiring to, to do science. Right. And the funniest thing that kind of flew under the radar with him, though, is someone asked what his biggest intellectual influence was. Mm. Right. What is so? What is it? Do you think what what is your biggest intellectual I, influence? Elon Musk, captain of industry, genius. I, I await I await disappointment. What did he say? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Fucking Galaxy. Oh fuck off! Which is a book he read clearly when he was sixteen years old. So think about that in your own life. Like you read a a sci-fi novel when you're sixteen. Elon Musk is forty-seven years old. <sighs> Nothing else has influenced him more than this kind of. Say what you want about that book. It's kind of it's cool, but it's like the, the biggest influence intellectually in your life is this. It's like what kind of childish, shallow person are you? Yeah, it's mind blowing. Um, it's have a you bit... read a book? Have you ever read a serious book in your life? Like clearly not. No, that that's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. You remember, like on a similar note, when Paul Ryan said Ayn Rand, he read it when he was seventeen, and it changed his life. It's like and this is still this is still it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least Scott Atlas shrugged. Though is more serious. At least it has an ideology. Yeah, that you're following. But but what is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like? It's it's the George Carlin of science writing. It is. Like, I mean, it's fine. It's a fine book. But it's like when you you should read it when you're 16 and be like, this is so cool. It's got some great phrases in there. Yeah. You shouldn't base your life around it. it. How could you even base your life? You could base your life around Atlas Shrug. How do you base your life around Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? By like being like smug and intellectually superior. I don't yeah, know. All the time. Like assuming you're the cleverest person in the room with yeah, like no. You know, anything. Never read discernible. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, that to me was the most mind-blowing. And that one went totally under the radar because he has so much stupid crap on Twitter, but that was the most mind-blowing to me. Like, didn't, this, I mean, didn't he block you on Twitter for like... Yeah, he blocked me on Twitter for... Which is the... Fi- for saying, coming back to Atlas Shrugged, he loves Atlas Shrugged too. Right, right. And I said, a pretty good joke. Like, it's kind of funny that Elon Musk is a libertarian idol because he's actually the villain from Atlas Shrugged. 
right. quite clearly. He makes all his money from government subsidies. Right. He never produces anything. He pumps up his stock by overpromising. This was the villain from Atlas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, right. but like, for real. Uh, what's her name? Who was the hero? I can't remember, but the, the train lady and the train people, Hank Reardon and the main girl. It's been forever since I read it, but yeah. yeah they didn't take, they bravely didn't take government subsidies. Hmm. They built their own industries. This is the opposite of what he thought must does. Yeah. He makes all his money from the government handouts. So he did not like that because he loves Atlas Shrugged and he likes to think of himself as uh, what I like to say is, so there's the two, there's the two steel guys. One of them was the villain. I think something Tabert maybe was his name. And then there was Hank Reardon, who was the sexy one. Hmm. This is a very important distinction. This guy was ugly. He was like bald and fat. Hank Reardon had abs, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is very important. She thinks he's the sexy uh, one. It's like, you're not, dude. You're the ugly one who takes subsidies, you know? I wonder if that, like that. Yeah, I wonder if that cut him harder than you knew. I think it did. Deflated well, his... Well, I think it did. I was shocked that he replied. Like, I, I looked down at my phone and I see, like, Elon, what the fuck, you know? But later on, like, I learned more about his Twitter presence, and it's not shocking at all. Apparently he replies constantly to people who don't even tag it like he searches his name <laughs> on so it's actually i was shocked but i didn't know that much about elon musk at the time or like his twitter presence like he is that? constantly like he literally every day goes and searches his name and then corrects people about minor stuff like you're wrong i don't respond that to, bizarre i don't respond I would to all of to my hear, mentions and i, I would like love a, yeah i would love a documentary about his life like the office style where they follow him around with cameras it would be amazing yeah but it would be so much worse than the office too he might let them do it thinking that he's going to look great not realizing he's going to look like a total idiot i think if there's any tv producers here you have your next big idea it'd be amazing and you would of course edit it to make him look bad and then he would sue you the, which brings us back to Jordan Peterson. That the, these these so-called rugged individualists, these rationalists, these people who are responding to you from a place of reason and not emotion, you understand, have zero ability to have their flaws pointed out. Yeah, zero, absolutely zero. And yeah. we're the emotional social justice identity types. But same with Sam Harris. Boy, is that guy petulant about criticism. How yeah. dare you call me a racist for having racists on my show and agreeing with for them? For inviting like, racists and giving him an hour to talk about how racism is true. No, 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 two hours. Two hours that thing went. <laughs> it's not just being a racist. Like, like Donald Trump was a racist because he didn't want black people in his hotels, you know? That's one thing. It's like, this is a guy who's literally directly saying, this, this isn't like, sort of like I was saying with misogyny. It's like, you can be a misogynist. Like, Christopher Hitchens was like, uh... Women, you know, women are like funny. Uh, women are the gentler sex. They, you know, da da da. He was like an old school misogynist. But then you have Jordan Peterson, who's like has a whole ideology of misogyny. That's his whole ideology. I'll say this for Hitchens: as problematic as he was about anything, you can't see him saying something like there was no historical oppression of women. No, because he wasn't stupid. Right. <laughs> and I, he wasn't nearly as stupid as some of these other people. Yeah, he would never say that. And again, Hitchens, his purpose of purpose of his life was not to advance misogyny as a social institution. That wasn't the purpose of his life. He like just happened to be a misogynist, right? The purpose of Jordan, Jordan Peterson's, his entire goal is misogyny. His goal, that's the purpose of it. He's driving towards misogyny. Like, so it's not like he happens to be a misogynist. It's the same thing with this. Like racism is one thing. Like you happen to be a racist, like, you're an old hotel manager in the 70s, and you're like, I don't want these black people in my but hotel. But to devote your life to trying to create a yeah. scientific proof of inferiority. That's not really what you would call racism in the normal sense. That's something beyond it, you know? It's like, race, that's like white supremacy, you know? Like, you're a, that's like being a member of the KKK. You're a white supremacist. It's not like you happen to be racist in a casual sense, you know? They would get offended and threatened to sue us or whatever. But stop me if I'm wrong, you believe white people are genetically superior. How is that, like, like what, what label could we go other than white supremacist? Like, you literally believe in the superiority without good evidence. Like, what else can we call you? Almost certainly that as a society, we should base our society around these truths. You know what I mean? Like, 
they think politics and society should be reorganized to be more racist. I mean, that's what they want to do. It's like calling you a racist. It's like like calling my your uncle at Thanksgiving party. Oh, he's such a racist guy. He says he's racist. like that's not. It's so far beyond that. It's comical that they would fight back. Like I, it's amazing that Jordan Peterson would doesn't have the courage to just be like, yeah, I am. But do you know? Do, do you know why I think that is? And what I've increasingly realized it, it's always been true of Jordan Peterson, and I'm realizing now that it's true of Sam Harris is that this. Ironically, this over-offense taking on their part is a feature, it's not a bug. I used to think that Sam Harris was just very, very thin-skinned, and you know he had some interesting ideas, but as soon as someone misrepresented him, and there have been things that have been said about Sam Harris that are unfair back in the day before he really came yeah, out yeah, as a racist, um, but that's just part of being a public figure, and he'd get yeah. so aggrieved that someone like Glenn Greenwald or whatever was misrepresenting him, and it's like, dude, if you're in the public eye, people are going to talk shit about you, that's just yeah, the rules. Yeah, they're going to read your, your stuff work. in the worst possible interpretation. I get that in my tweets. I see people read yeah. them in the worst possible way. It is pretty annoying. I, um, I had someone when I did this podcast on feminism with Aaron Ra, who was obviously very against feminism, little white atheist fuckboy, and wrote me and said, I quote, you are every bit as bad as Hitler. And I was just like, that's... That's amazing. Like, like what, 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 can you, what can you say to that? But the point is, I used to just yeah. think he was thin-skinned. I'm actually starting to think it's actually part of the shtick, in that you stake out a position, say Jordan Peterson, that is just overt misogyny, but you surround it with so much garbage that whenever someone calls you on it, you can sort of make a lateral move and say, that's not really what I meant, right? Yeah. And that's then, right. once you've baited them into calling you a misogynist or a racist, because, you know, you were being one, and that's the only accurate way to describe those views, then you get to go, you see how far political correctness has gone. Yeah. I can't have an honest conversation about how men are superior to women without these <laughs> feminists getting their, their panties me. in a twist. Censoring. I'm being censored. I'm the victim. And I used to just think they were whiny and had no self-awareness. And I think that goes for a lot of the fans. But I wonder if it's actually a bit more intentional than that. Yeah, it's hard to say what's going on in their psychology, you know. But this has always been a big part of these movements. For one, they always think it's bizarre always. It's kind of incredible that they complain about being censored. Someone who is being invited around on the news, like Jordan Peterson, talking at universities, has a podcast that millions of people listen to you know, a huge following on social media. He's like, these people who complain about censorship are often the people with the most power to speak in the entire country. You know what I mean? Like far from being censored, he's got his voice out in front of millions of people. So out of all proportion to what he has to yeah, say, out of all proportion to what he, yeah. So it's always a feature that they have to become the victims. It's the same thing like, like with these, uh, sort of anti-feminist groups where they have to, like, pretend that men are out of victims. Yeah. You know, men are being victimized. Feminism has gone so far that now men are actually the victims, and these feminists control everything. It's bizarre to think. You for listening to the Political Philosophy Podcast. I just want to close this episode by saying a big thank you to anyone who's taken an action to support the show. So, a few more people sponsored us on Patreon last week. I want to say a big thank you. That's really making this show possible, and I'm really grateful. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a site where you can voluntarily provide monetary support at whatever level is right to the creators of free content. So, this is a free show. I do it myself. Nobody's funding it. We don't have any sponsors. I dislike doing advertising on shows. And the way we cover the costs of the show is some of our audience members just chip in whatever's right to them. I suggest a donation of $2 an episode, which is about what most of our sponsors do. But it's totally up to you. You can sponsor us from anywhere from like a dollar to... Well, I mean, hey, don't let me put a cap on it. Whatever you guys can do. but. To the people who've sponsored us recently, as well as the people who've been sponsoring us for a while, really genuinely, you know, thank you. It's so easy to just receive free content, and you've taken that step of going on and signing up to support us. 
That's amazing. You're really amazing. You should feel really good about that. Also, people who are amazing are just, you know, share the show. Like, we got a whole bunch of people sharing it um, last episode on Facebook and Twitter and so on. That just helps us reach a broader audience. It also means that the more people we can get listening, the better guests we can get on in the future. If I can tell people that we have 10,000 unique views an episode, they're more likely to want to come on. And if we can get that up to 20, even 30k, then I think we'll be able to attract some, like, A-list guests, as it were. So sharing also helps us put out a great show. So anyone who shared, anyone who sponsored, thank you so much for doing that. If you want to sponsor us, the links are on the website, politicalphilosophypodcast.com, or you can just Google Political Philosophy Podcast, it's the first thing that comes up, or the sponsorship page itself is patreon.com stroke political philosophy podcast. If you want to share, then we're on both Facebook and Twitter, Um, just search for us, or again, the links are on the website. So please do any of those things. If you're listening to me at this point, you probably got through the whole episode. It would seem a bit weird to just skip to the outro, but, you know, maybe you did that. I once got an email from someone telling me the intro and outro were their favourite bits, and I was like, cool, you know, glad you're listening. I don't necessarily... But, you know, cool, glad you're listening. Um, But, yeah, if you did make it through to the end of the show, consider at least sharing. If it's your first episode, no pressure to donate, but if you've been listening to a few episodes now... Consider checking it out. It allows us to continue putting out the show for free and without any advertisements. Thank you for everyone who does either of those things, and just thank you for listening to this show. It's great having an audience, and I love hearing from you. So if you liked today's episode, or even if you think we're completely wrong about everything, hit me up on social media with your thoughts. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Bye.